Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So, 1,041 goals, 938 assists and 34 own goals later. Here we are at the end of the 2018-2019 FPL season. It's been a rollercoaster ride for us all. And as we step off at the exit and readjust to normal life, we're here to look at that season in our rearview mirror before signing off for the summer. I'm joined today by Nick as usual. You're right, mate. I know uh, there's been a bit of a sickness going through the households. Yeah, yeah. It's been a bit of a rough week for us in, in the household, indeed. Um, Moses is pretty sick for about a week. Oh. <laughs> still not great. It seems to be better now. Then I went and caught the lurgy myself, so I've been bedridden for the last couple of days. Oh, no. uh, yeah, bad times, but um, hopefully on the mend. And uh, yeah, hopefully well enough to to get through this pod without passing out. But now <laughs> rushing, right. rushing off uh, to the bathroom. Rush, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bathroom. So sorry, Tom. BRB. Um, yeah, no. Just to say quickly, of course, we are. Who got the assist? Find us on Twitter at wgta underscore fpl and use Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you'd like to listen and subscribe. So yeah, Tom, the the season's over now, isn't it? So uh, have a nice summer. We can actually uh, talk to our significant others without looking at our phone every second. <laughs> uh, you know, spend some family time. Uh, Get away from the old football, what, for about five minutes, perhaps, I don't know, um, until the next season starts. The hype of the next season's already been. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, so what So what we're talking about then, Tom? Cool. Uh, so, well, now we're at the end. It's time to put a bottom on the season of 87 days at the time of recording until game week one next year. I told my other half yesterday, it was 88 days, and she was just like, oh, 88 days, we're actually going to get to know each other again. <laughs> Uh, so I guess um, in this poll, we'll go through some of the data and um, handing out some frivolously named awards to discuss how the season develops and pick out some key trends in both the stats and FPL management that might help us for the new season ahead. Um, we'll also then do the final roundup of the features in the mini league, give you a little update on what to expect when we come back after the break. And uh, yeah, I mean, that will all kind of round off this year's content. Shall we get over the game week review first? How did it go for you? Yeah, it actually went all right. Um, I was watching it with the guys from Fantasy Football Hub. So Will, Rich Clark, Andrew Ferguson, Luke Wilson, uh, Ben Krellin, amongst others. And yeah, it was actually quite a good uh, afternoon for me. I got ace two points all in all. Zaha, um, who was my captain, came through with three assists. It looks like he should have got four. Um, I'm not too sure on that. I don't really mind at this point. Um, but I'm glad the differential captain sort of paid off. I should have probably captained Mane, um, who got 15 points. Um, but um, all in all, ace two points. That kind of gave me a final day stats puff. 
it took me up 228k from i think it's about 300k or something like that so i beat last year's score but it's just an ultimate question of what could have been if I didn't fall apart so spectacularly in mid-season. It was all a dream, turned to a nightmare in the end, and uh, I'm hoping next season is more of a, a more of a strong performance for myself. What about you? Yeah, so I mean, the last week again, like last year, I've ended up on a red arrow in the final weight game week. Bit, bit disappointing. It's 57 points in the end. It's a bit rubbish, I guess. Um, Aguero, I brought in Aguero and Redmond on my transfers, and both of them actually did pretty well. Um, I mean, Aguero scored and Redmond got a goal as well and some bonus. But I think overall, it's just a bit, uh, a bit of a rubbish end. I just got punished by not having Mane and um, TAA, and uh, not only TAA all season seems to be, I think, one of my biggest mistakes perhaps of the season. But yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a dire end. I think um, the poor Perez got me goals as well, but. Could have been better. Finished off at 93k, which is a bit rubbish, to be honest. I mean, better than you, but I feel like it could have been a lot, a lot better this season um, compared to like last season where it got a 17k overall rank in the end. Yeah, exactly. I think um, yeah, you just fell out of the uh, the money, didn't you, as well, to our friend Con in our uh, in our cash mini league. So yeah, quite a quite quite a tough final day, I think, for you by the sounds of it, uh, with, with high hopes after the last game week. But it feels like the way it goes to some extent. And we'll talk about it during the summer when we do our uh, getting to know you pod. But like, I think you've done a lot better than I have since we've done WGTA, and I think to some extent it's just uh, been interesting to see how our fortunes have diverged um, over that time. Right, let's move on to the uh, the key topic then this week. It's not a normal week. It's obviously not leading into a game week, which means that we're going to be looking back over the course of this year and uh, thinking a little bit about the best players, like the best teams, and also kind of different sort of aspects which matter to FPL managers, don't particularly matter to football fans generally. Uh, so we're going to give each kind of little thing an award. We'll introduce it, have a chat about it, and uh, we'll get the meaty ones out of the way first before we get into some of the perhaps more frivolous, more trivial awards that we're going to recount and relive some of the most uh, ridiculous moments of the season uh, buying uh, Fear Walker or anyone uh, right let's go to the first one then which is team of the year to really dive into it and I think that it was an interesting year wasn't it because City and Liverpool uh, we spoke about this on Gaming First Sevens pod but it really was the emergence of a duopoly that we hadn't seen for such a long time and those teams were pretty much teams that you should have been tripling up on doubling up on for for the majority of the year and below them there was a revolving door of premium to kind of mid-tier enablers over likes of united uh, when they were in flow the likes of wolves when they were in flow below city and liverpool and it was all kind of going that way but i think it's, it's got to be between liverpool and city hasn't it for the team of the year just because they were just so ridiculously good and so ridiculously above everyone. Like Liverpool with the highest number of clean sheets, uh, Alisson on the final day winning the Golden Glove, and Sissy just for the most monstrous number of shots in the box. Who's your nomination then, Nick, for Team of the Year this year? So obviously you mentioned the duopoly in the league, and I think for Team of the Year it has to be one of those two teams. And, and whilst City actually, you know, won, obviously they won the league, they have the, the best underlying stats for me, it just has to be Liverpool, to be honest, from an FPL perspective. They really have been dominant in FPL. Their key players have played every game. The problem with City is there has been a lot of rotation. We all got punished at various points by the rotation. For instance, I and Maris at the beginning of the season, which didn't work out at all. And we had the, the infamous uh, Leroy Sane moment as well. And whilst there were a few City players, Aguero, Sterling, Laporte were kind of the key 
key characters in that City team, just the Liverpool players, I just think ended up just being much better assets. And, you know, you can see it in the, in the overall returns of the season with TAA, Van Dijk and Robertson all um, being the top three defenders in terms of score, two, two Liverpool defenders being the first ever defenders to score over 200 points, Mo Salah getting the highest score out of all players, and, and Mane's season as well. Mane has had a fantastic season uh, this year. You talk about Sterling and Laporte and Aguero, and they, they were good, but you know City assets were a lot more expensive as well, I think, compared to the Liverpool ones, apart from perhaps Mo Salah. And I think um, for that reason, Liverpool are my team of the year when it comes to FPL. If you look at the stats, as you mentioned, the underlying stats for City are so much better. Like they absolutely destroyed Liverpool in so many measures, like the shots in the box, big chances in terms of defensive, you no know, big chances conceded, shots in, uh, conceded inside the box, and also in terms of expected um, expected goals, it was yeah a fair demolition to be honest in terms of those kinds of numbers. But in terms of looking at the FPL data, as you say, and in terms of thinking about it as an FPL game. Like the, the likes of Van Dyke, the likes of Robertson, especially playing pretty much week in, week out, were, were such a such a boon to FPL managers that you know you have the city players and they could hypnotize you and make and you could be thinking, yeah, they're, they're definitely worth it because they're so much more expensive. But actually, having those Liverpool players like TAA 5.0, having that guy in for, for his golden periods, but. And I feel like, yeah, it's got to go to Liverpool for, for this year. I mean, do you think there's any kind of mileage in thinking, you know, someone like Wolves, for example, who have given us Doherty at 4.4 when we picked him up, uh, Jimenez at you know, 5.5, some people got him at. Like, is there any mileage in that as being kind of the, med- the medium kind of tier enabler team? Yeah, definitely. I think if I was to pick a, a team that, you know, perhaps not outside of the top two, I would have picked Wolves. And, you know, Wolves have had a fantastic debut season in the Premier League. And Doherty, as you mentioned, has been an absolute revelation. So has Jimenez. And and both of those guys have really delivered for um, people that own them this season. So I definitely think that there is mileage in in saying, um, you know, and in talking about Wolves and, and their season, how brilliant it has been. Yeah, absolutely. And the other one probably may be that you might want to think about. And like, over the course of the season, you're always going to be dominated by those big teams. But uh, I think that at certain points of the season, some other teams would have been in with a shout. For example, you know, Bournemouth, the first 10 game weeks, uh, they're in the top five for shots in the box at that point. Uh, Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser firing all cylinders. So at some point, they would probably have had a say latter half of the season maybe Everton under the radar we've had a say but you can't get away from how good Man City and Liverpool were can you and I think that probably is the uh, the decider in terms of teams overall uh, but I think where it gets really interesting and we'll, we'll move on to the players now is, is when we start thinking about the player of the year now, I think that we'll, we'll build up to the, who we think is the actual player of the year unless you kind of think it's a goalkeeper but we'll go through the positions won't we and we'll think about kind of some some key things that we've noted from looking at the stats and looking at what's happened over the course of the season starting with the goalkeepers then if we were going to give a, a putative uh, goalkeeper of the year award for me it's going to have to go to Fabianski he had the most saves this year 151 uh, that's the first time he's won it's 2014-15 that's the fourth highest number of saves ever made by a goalkeeper in the season the highest scorer since a day David Marshall uh, for Cardiff in 2013-14. And coincidentally, the most saves ever made in the season was Jesse Jaskalainen in 2012-13 for West Ham. 
Fabianski is simply a phenomenal goalkeeper. Uh, if you look at the uh, XG prevented, he is far and away at the top of that metric. He prevented 10, almost 11 goals, uh, judging by the issue of the shots on target he faced more than any other goalkeeper. So at 4.5, he started the season at. Um, I mean, the points obviously don't quite stack up, but in terms of in terms of football stats, uh, Fabianski does look like he, he was the standout keeper this season. Uh, what are you thinking? I've actually gone for the same player as you, Tom, there. I've uh, picked out Lucas Fabianski. And, uh, yeah, from the east side of London, he's he's really delivered this season. You've, you've given all the numbers. So I've got no no more really to add. <laughs> Obviously, the 151 saves, you know, is a record for the for the season. And I think it's unfortunate that West Ham only managed seven clean sheets over the course of the season because I feel like uh, if Fabianski had got some um, more clean sheets, he'd have really smashed it in terms of overall points. In fact, he actually ended the season as the sixth highest scoring goalkeeper, you know, less than Neil Everidge because Neil Everidge saved a few penalties over the course of the season. So in terms of an overall FPL score, he didn't really deliver. But I felt with Fabianski when I owned him, even when West Ham inevitably conceded, you always got a three or four pointer from him just due to the uh, the amount of saves that he was making. And uh, I think for me, yeah, Fabianski is, was the best goalkeeper um, around. Certainly, but I guess points do win prizes overall. And you've got to be looking at Alisson, haven't you? Perhaps being the best goalkeeper uh, on an overall level. We started the season at 5.5, same as Edison. Uh, David De Gea got the 6.0 after last season's heroics. But um, it, it really did come down to Edison versus Allison for the final day and the Golden uh, golden Glove. And uh, Liverpool not conceding against Wolves saw it going to Merseyside. Um, that's uh, 21 clean sheets for Allison, uh, which is pretty damn good. Only 22 goals conceded. Um, and next season, you, you know, we spoke about this on the last pod, but with probably Liverpool defence going to be going up to a point where you're going to have to choose between having two of them making sacrifices elsewhere on your team. Um, Alisson could end up, if he does get the 6.0, like I think you said last week that David De Gea got the 6.0, so maybe that'll be the highest they go. If he gets that, he may end up being the cheapest uh, kind of way into that defence, right? Um, I think that maybe we might see him in a lot of teams. 176 points isn't, isn't really to be sniffed at for a goalkeeper overall. He's definitely once considered for next season. I think the concern is obviously he does fill up one of those Liverpool slots and he was the sixth highest scoring Liverpool player this season, which seems a bit ridiculous considering he got 176 points. So I think that's that's the problem with him. You, you probably want one of those defenders, especially you know Trent Alexander-Arnold, the amount of assists he got over the course of the season. He got 13 in total, which is just ridiculous for a defender. Yeah, of course. But I mean, you've still got... Uh, it's one of those things, you know, I remember with AWB last week versus Lukaku. Like, we've got a whole year's worth of data here. So obviously it's all over those first eight weeks and things obviously change within the week. So we're not saying that, um, you know, looking at a zombie team retrospective and thinking, yeah, but that would be the best thing you can do. But that's not the case. It's just looking at the data and thinking, right, this is how it ended up. But Alisson outscored the likes of David Luiz, Alonso, Emily, Eriksson, Sane and Jamie Vardy and the Callum Wilson as well so there definitely is I'm stuck in just having a goalkeeper and just set and forget for the rest of the season like obviously you may want the extra 30 or 40 points from a, a Liverpool defender but if they are 7.0 next year and you've got to make significant um, sacrifices to fit them in then maybe you would plump for a 6.0 I don't know with Alisson uh, the same perhaps with Edison too but he started at 5.5 this year also ended up with 169 points which outscored those similar sorts of players he was uh, outscored by Laporte in his own defence 
just by eight points. There's a case for those two premium keepers, and another uh, product of the duopoly we've seen. But maybe one of them uh, could well weasel their way into a game week one squad or two, just because of the fact that they are uh, representing perhaps a lot of clean sheets for you over the course of the season. If you do set and forget. Yeah, definitely. So, and I think it's worth also mentioning um, Everton and, and Pickford when you talk about the goalkeeper category. And, and I remember, like the first half of the season, Everton were just having an absolute shocker. Um, everyone was talking about Pickford being a terrible goalkeeper, etc. Even though he just had a brilliant World Cup with England, people had quickly forgotten about that and were just, you know, you know, caning him. But Everton actually somehow managed. Um, they managed uh, six clean sheets in their last eight games and eight clean sheets in their last 11, which is just ridiculous, really. A, a fantastic run of form. And they really floated under the radar. We were talking about Michael Keane and his returns and, and Guilford Sigerton making the FPL team of the season. These guys really floated under the radar, didn't they, this year? They've got a story to tell after the season's gone, uh, but during it, especially for the last six, uh, six game weeks, because they didn't have the uh, the double game weeks, they were overlooked very, very heavily. And that meant that, you know, there are a few people like Goops in our mini league, for example, who kept hold of Dinier through, yet he always had other fish to fry in terms of his chances. But keeping hold of him did seem to seem to work out. And Pickford, um, in terms of VAR next year, I mean, he saved the most penalties, saved three this year. And you might be thinking, oh, is he a penalty save specialist? Does he have something there in terms of saving pens? Uh, because we are expecting to see, um, I mean, a few bits of data have been pulled to, show, to say that VAR's um, introduction doesn't mean there's more penalties. Um, but that could be a consideration, couldn't it? I think, yeah, obviously he's probably going to have a price rise as well. I'd be surprised if he, he's 5.0 again. But if, if Everton have good fixtures, then I'll certainly be considering Pickford as a potential goalkeeper. I'd, I'd probably be leaning more towards um, Luca Dean because of his fantastic um, chance creation stats this year. Exactly. 13 big chances created this year. If we're going to give it to a goalkeeper, it sounds like we probably both give it to Fabianski with, with the kind of the, the, the real policy knowledge that probably Alisson or Edison's the best goalkeeper. Um, but moving on to defenders then, uh, this year was an interesting one. Duffy's five goals was the highest goal scored by a defender. Uh, but probably the lowest outcome since 2015 when Scott Dan. Uh, scored five goals last year. It was Alonso of seven and Cahill McCauley in, in 2016-17 with six. But the assists is what's interesting, as you just intimated earlier. 13 assists by TAA and 12 by Robbo. Uh, both of those numbers would win any year um, since uh, Optus stats and FFS stats began. Um, the closest that we I can I could find was Leighton Baines in 2014-15 uh, with nine assists. Uh, this is going right back to Ashley Cole and Micah Richards uh, getting five assists each in 2011-2012. So Robbo a little bit unlucky, perhaps, um, to to miss out on on, on winning the most assists ever uh, because TAA was that bit better towards the end of the year. So uh, TAA next year, I think, is going to be on a par, um, frankly, with Van Dyke and, and Robertson. If they put him 0.5 cheaper, I think he's going to be the go-to. So I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, the other area to comment on quickly is the, the BPS. Um, so VVD... Uh, was the monster this year? He got 930 BPS actions. Who stopped? He stopped Aspi from completing the Hattie, um, and that's the second highest uh, defender BPS ever. Uh, Leighton Baines in 2012-13 got 933, so just three more from five goals, five assists, eleven clean sheets. BVD four goals, four assists, and astonishing 20 
clean sheets. So I think it's 7.0 is all around for Liverpool defenders. Uh, interesting to see what, what happens with Laporte. I suspect he'll, he'll go up there because he's not quite troubled a lot of the data uh, streams this year, purely because the guys in front of him have been doing a lot more and Liverpool have tended to score uh, less, uh, slightly fewer goals in games. So it meant that their defenders got more bonus uh, or, their bonus, or the, their defenders were assisting indeed. But uh, I think overall it's got to be TAA really in terms of what's happened this year and how he's done them. Um, I mean, he, he hasn't played the whole year, but to come out with, with those sorts of numbers is just simply immense, isn't it, for a 5.0 defender? Like, I think in, in future years, I've said many times, that's going to be something that we look at and go, oh my God, it was 5.0. What were we all doing? Why was he not owned by everybody? Uh, what do you think, Nick, of this year? Yeah, obviously, I, I've been praising defenders. Um, well, since we started the pod, really, I've been hyping them up, and and they really did deliver this year, didn't they? Um, so, so was TAA your pick then? Sorry, I think yeah, I think he, he's got to be. I think okay, now fair enough. Uh, for me, I, I did pick Andrew Robertson, and just because of what he did for me this season, he was just you know unbelievable. Like you mentioned, TAA. Um, you know, got those two assists in the final game week, and and Robbo only got me six points. And and for Robbo, I was actually it felt like a blank <laughs> to me that he'd only got the six points. Just just has been my expectation for what he can deliver this season. And uh, yeah, he's he's been in my team since game week one. I think that's the first time in FPL I've ever had a player every single game week of the season. And and you know, he was just brilliant. I mean, what he returned in terms of what I spent for him in for points per value was thirty five point five points per million spent over the course of the season. And I thought about this and I said, that if I actually had um, 82 million or so spent on my starting 11 and excluding uh, captain points, if every one of my player had matched Robbo's output, I'd have ended up finishing the season 2,911 points, which actually would have been enough to win FPL. So Robbo would have um, been enough for me to win FPL. I just couldn't get the rest of my team sorted, unfortunately, as the other 10 men that let me down. But this guy certainly didn't. The Liverpool defence in general has just been fantastic. I never did double up on them. I never had um, Virgil or, or TAA all season. And, and it does feel like a little bit of a mistake in the end. Certainly. Is Robbo your player of the season, though, as well? <laughs> Yeah, he is. It's just, it's, I think it's just worth highlighting as well is his meteoric rise since he um, joined Liverpool. And he, it's, you actually forget that it was only two seasons ago that he was playing alongside Harry Maguire, getting relegated with Hull and having an absolutely shocking season, only only scoring 73 points um, in total. We got a goal and two assists, but yeah, Hull really struggled in the Premier League. And it's just, it's quite interesting to see um, Maguire and uh, Robertson's trajectory since then. Yes, certainly. They've both done very well, haven't they? I mean, Maguire is up there in terms of up there with Lingard in terms of being England's kind of young players. He's an England legend, really, Maguire, isn't he? Yeah. He yeah. really is. TAA and Robertson really have, have broken the mould this year. I mean, look, linking to that, um, I mean, if we're going to talk about a quickie pair of the season, and also kind of a role in uh, moving from defenders to midfielders, uh, the way I looked at this uh, was because now we've got all of the data, I've started playing with it, Nick. It's been great. Uh, um, so I, I looked at 2018-2019 um, data, and because we both work in finance, I thought I'd do it as a year-on-year percentage yield, which probably has put a lot of you to sleep. Um, but it actually is quite illuminating. So looking at 2018 scores, 2019 scores, and seeing um, if you'd have invested in that player hypothetically for the course of the two years. Yeah, Robertson, 111 points um, in 2018, uh, 213 points in 2019. Uh, that gives him a 48% yield in terms of points, which is which is pretty ridiculous. That's 
almost as good as the likes of Van Dyke, uh, 63% yield in points return um, from 78 uh, to 208, and Aubameyang, 87 to 205, 58%. Uh, but what we need to remember, I guess, is that you know, Robertson only broke in this Liverpool team. He's not been a stalwart in that Liverpool team um, for the whole time. He only broke into it the second half of last season. Uh, same with TAA, same with Van Dyke. He moved to Liverpool uh, midway through last season. And Aubameyang as well. Uh, folding into my uh, nominee for midfielder of the year and also for player of the year, um, Sadio Mane is the one that I think is probably going to get that gong for me or get that nomination for me. Uh, so Mane last year, as you mentioned on last week's pod, uh, scored 147 points. This year he scored 231. A bit of a stats puff with that final brace. That's a 36% yield uh, year on year in terms of points. But why I think Mane is the player of the year is that he's broken into the pantheon of safe captaincy, which is the the zenith, I think, of FPO experience. Like, I think his performance this year has been overshadowed maybe by Salah love and also the city excitement, but he's been quietly incredibly effective. And what's astonishing is that he ended up with only one real assist and two FPL assists while sharing the golden boot. Like, I don't know if you're going to do the selfish index over summer, but that's surely the most selfish ratio of all. There is more to this as well. Looking into his data, his all-round players improve like year on year. The football stats have definitely gotten better. Like um, his touches in general have increased 25%. He's made more passes and he's also been very clinical this year. So he scored 30 6% of his big chances last year, 58% of his big chances this year, uh, 15 big chances uh, he scored from 26. That's more than Cuneguero, uh, who scored 14 of his 26 big chances, Salah, 14 29, and only one man scored more big chances, Raheem Sterling, uh, who scored 16 of his 20 big chances, 60%. Um, but in terms of the improvement from last year, and in terms of the outcome that Mane is now probably on that same kind of level as a Cuneguero, as a Salah, as a Sterling, as somebody you'd, you'd kind of captain and, and not worry about it too much. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be thinking, oh God, I've gone for differential here. You'd be happily captain that guy. And I think that perceptually, psychologically, and in terms of an FPL game asset, um, Sadio Mane's ascent to that upper top table is what makes me think that that guy really is worthy of some recognition this year. That's why he gets my uh, gets my tip. I mean, what, what do you think about it, Nick? No, I, de- I definitely think he is worth the praise. He, he certainly joined the sort of premium upper echelons of the, um, you know, of the FPL story. You know, he's joined the likes of Sterling, Hazard and, you know, Canaguero and Mo Salah. And, he, you know, he ended up sharing the uh, the golden boot with uh, Salah and Aubameyang. And that's a testament to his season. I, I was actually quite surprised by his assist stats because I hadn't looked at that. He'd only managed three all season. That seems particularly poor. It's not quite as bad as Harry Kane last season with his 28 goals and two assists. But that's still, that's still pretty shocking. And you have to wonder about Mo Salah's output as well. With, if uh, Mane had passed to him a few more times, whether Salah could have done even better like he did last season. Because there's definitely some sort of edge between those two a little bit on the pitch, isn't there? A little bit of competitive edge. They don't seem to pass to each other at all. They're all... But it seemed to work out still. Didn't didn't bother Klopp too much, so um, didn't bother Liverpool too much. But yeah, I think Mane definitely um, definitely is deserving of your praise, considering what he delivered. You know, this season we talked at the beginning of the season. I was quite negative about the idea of Mane um, covering Salah, and I've always said that Salah was the one to own, and you couldn't cover Salah with Mane. And I was proved wrong, to be honest. And it's probably um, part of the reason. For my downfall, well, not my downfall, but part of the reason I didn't have as great a season is probably because I didn't back Sadio Mane like others did to to truly deliver. Because um, you know he, he didn't have as many shots or whatever, but he, he really did uh, take his chances, as you said, and 
that just proves that he is is a top quality player. Um, for for me, actually, for midfielder, I decided to go a slightly different route to you, just to vary it up. I went for um, I went for Ryan Fraser. I decided to pick him the value pick of the season, and I think Ryan Fraser, um, the pocket rocket, he started the season at five point five. He's he's really a really really good amazing value pick and he managed 14 assists over the course of the season that was second only to Hazard and Sterling and his underlying stats are extremely impressive uh, too he managed 28 big chances he in total he created 28 big chances in total was nine more than Eden Hazard with 90 uh, with 19 and, and 92 um, chances created over the course of the season which is third for all midfielders um, you know he's not he's not the most glamorous pick to say your midfield of the year, but I think he, he proved a real bargain. And, and you mentioned Bournemouth earlier on in the pod when you're talking about the teams. And I think um, I can't. He's probably not going to be a Bournemouth next uh, year. But it'd be very interesting to see what happens to his price. I imagine he'll probably jump up into the seven million bracket. Yeah, absolutely. I think if he goes to Arsenal or something like that, um, I think he'll be he'll get an even higher kind of boost. Maybe you'll see him at kind of eight-ish, something like that. Uh, but for 5.5 million, the output and the kind of the, the talisman status that he definitely provided for Bournemouth, especially when they had uh, that kind of golden period, the first kind of 10, 11 game weeks and and the random kind of occurrences of Fraser Wilson uh, just killing ranks left, right and centre definitely means that uh, the wee man is definitely worth it. Uh, we probably have to mention it, Mo Money, more problems. Um Mo Salah, uh, obviously the highest scorer this year. Um, so there'll be a lot of people who can't look past that. Um, he scored 17% less points this year, uh, 259, down from 303. Um, like, do you think that uh, Salah's in with a shout? I mean, I think that that that, that point about Mane getting the getting those points, so that 2 3 1, uh, despite the assists, also needs, we also need to add that he got there about penalties as well. So Salah scored three penalties this year, uh, two of which listed a 12 point return over that Christmas period. D- did Salah do what you expected him to do for 13 million? I think I did own him all season last year. This season, I think I didn't own him for a few weeks. Uh, brought him back for the Huddersfield game, and that was the the one which he really delivered for me. I think Sad has always been one of those players. You know, since well, since he's joined Liverpool, I, I've, I've stuck by him. I, you know, I've you know, I've, I've constantly praised him, even when others have doubted him. You've doubted him a few times, and it's punished you, hasn't it, this season mm-hmm. um, and last season? But for me, I think Mo Mo has been brilliant. But he has he has not been as good this season as he was last year. I think there's no denying that he's he scored fifty points less. I mean, last season he he got thirty two goals. This season he only managed twenty two goals. So you know, it is a it is a dramatic drop in terms of his output. But you know, his output last season was so ridiculously good. It was it wasn't really that sustainable. And because of his ridiculously good output last season, his price was pretty expensive as well. You know. Um, I think at one point I owned Salah and Kane. That was twenty-five million pounds of my budget just tied up in just those two players, and they didn't really deliver that that sort of cost that I had to pay to bring in these guys to my team. And you know, you know, look at Mane was nine point five. If I had Mane for instead of Salah, you know, huge chunks of the season, I'd have had an extra three point five million that I could have used to you know upgrade my defense even more, or um, you know, or look at some of the other forwards that were available out there bringing like the likes of a Bamiyang who I didn't really own either yeah certainly I mean uh, I guess we can pivot on to the example of Raheem Sterling um so Sterling this year 
actually didn't do that much better than last year. Uh, 229 points last year, 234 points this year. Um, obviously got a little bit of a hike in terms of the price, all the way up to 11 this year. And many of us balked at that. Um, but overall, throughout the course of the season, as I mentioned earlier, he scored the most big uh, big chances of uh, of any player. And it, he also returned in uh, in 19 of his 34 games. Uh, just more for another guy um, who I'm going to nominate for my striker of the year, Sergio Aguero. Uh, but Raz also got more double-digit hauls. And he, he definitely did... Uh, for many people, turn out to be one differential captain. Like he, only, he I don't think he broke twenty five percent ownership the whole year, which is absolutely ridiculous, really. And um, it, he definitely, along with Mane, entered that kind of air, that kind of uh, psychological space of being a safe captain. I think he's definitely worth kind of mentioning. Uh, arguably, the likes of Leroy Sane could have gotten there, but they didn't quite do it, did they? So, yeah, I think Sterling definitely should be in contention. And I'm guessing for some people, he definitely did some bits for them, which would mean that he would be right up there. Uh, for me, he didn't quite do what Mane did, but definitely still worth talking about a little bit, right? Yeah, definitely. I think with, with Sterling, he, he was really good this season. And especially towards the end of the season, he just became a nailed-on safe pick within that within that Manchester City side that you could trust to play. I think problem was as well with him a little bit is at the beginning of the season, there was just that risk he wasn't going to play in those fixtures. He didn't play against Huddersfield at home. He didn't play against Burnley at home. He didn't play against Watford away. You know, these were games which Manchester City smashed their opponent 6-1 or 5-0. And I think... The um that that was always the fear with with Pep and Manchester City, as I said earlier, was that that fear that your player's not going to play, and you know so many managers got punished over the course of the season by these players that they they took the risk on. They you know spending eleven million on a player, you want him to start every single game week, don't you? And um, whilst he sort of had you know more minutes than he's ever had before in terms of Manchester City, his output was pretty pretty damn similar actually to to last year. In fact, is underlying numbers were, were less. So last year he got 18 goals, 17 assists. This season he got 17 goals, 15 assists. So his output was slightly reduced. He only outscored um, his score by five points this season because he played more games and got more clean sheets. So I think for that reason, while Sterling's had a, a brilliant season, um, I wouldn't have him down as my candidate for player of the year. I mentioned Kern a minute ago. He's definitely worth mentioning. So, because, you know, game week two, just to transport you back there, Jamie Jackson, Pep Guardiola has decided that Gabriel Jesus is the number one striker. Aguero is going to be benched. And, uh, yeah, there are many people feeling upset. Many people who took the captaincy of Kun Aguero, only for him to score a hat trick. And, and that's how it went over the course of the season. Um, the, the Jesus threat completely and utterly uh, dwindled. And Kun's consistency was absolutely fantastic. 33 appearances, 19 returns, 58% of the games he appeared in, he scored something, um, which is just what you needed for a striker who ended up the highest own player and also the player who, a lot of the time, you just captain. You just forget about it and captain him. Uh, I think that that's kind of what you need from a captain potential and that's what you need for a player throughout the course of the year. And I, I was really surprised that he was still 30. Like I think a lot of people were... You know, just the way he was being spoken about as aging, you know, getting past it, getting over the hill. Like, are we past it over the hill at 30, Nick? I'm not too sure. Like, I genuinely thought he was like 32, 33, maybe the white hair, um, die, maybe, maybe think that. But next year, if he gets really high ownership game week one, which he doubtlessly will, like, he's going to be one of those players that you're going to be looking at covering, aren't you? Just because of what happened to me, for example, game week two, not owning him versus Huddersfield. That reset my season back because suddenly everyone had a hat trick and I didn't. 
Um, so, so yeah, that's going to be something that you'll be thinking about next year, right? Yeah, definitely. I think Aguero always has to be considered. You know, he's proved this season that he has been Manchester City's first choice. You know, Jesus has barely got a look in all season, hasn't he? And you, you expect him to start up front against Manchester City. And if Manchester City have some really nice fixtures at the beginning of the season, you definitely have to consider him. And, uh, you know, he, he's definitely a, a great pick picking great candidate for play of the season he's, he's managed um 20 goals um for the fifth season in a row over 20 goals and it's the first um premier league player to do that since thierry Henry. um so i think aguero is a, is a great pick for um, a great candidate for um forward of the season for sure um and you know you look at some of the other picks out there or bamiyang's had a bamiyang outscored him in the end he, he never for me he seemed to he seemed to be very. I don't know. I don't know why, but he seemed to be a bit, a little bit mercurial in terms of his returns. He'd show up very rarely. I think he obviously got thirteen pointer on the final game week of the season. But I did highlight, I think, on the, the previous pods that he hadn't got a double figure return since game week twenty four, and it just felt like it, it wasn't really working um, out for him in terms of an FPO asset. Not not many people really looked at him, but you know he he was quietly. Very good, wasn't he? What, what do you think about Aubameyang, Tom? Well, I, mean, I backed him very strongly over the course of the season. The problem is with Aubameyang is that you had lots of different facets to him. You had whether Emery was me playing him on the wing, you had whether he was going to start at all, and you had his propensity uh, to miss big chances, which I my favourite stat of all. And um, it will be of no surprise to anybody to learn that Aubameyang actually won the steeplechase this year for big chances missed. Yeah, he missed 23 big chances over the course of the season, uh, which ends up with him, him having one of those mi- misleading throughout the course of the season XG stats. He saw on the fun day as well against Burnley, like two really well-taken goals and absolute sitters miss. And, and that was basically what he did over the course of the season, just occasionally had moments when he exploded, but also had moments when he returned nothing in games where you'd be expecting him to score big. And I think about West Ham, I think about Huddersfield, um, those sorts of times where you did start to mount up just affect your confidence in doing it. I think for paying that amount of money for a for a striker, or at least that amount of money for a premium asset, um, you'd be better off spending it on a player who is slightly more predictable. Perhaps you're more able to captain. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll be interested to see next year whether you know, he said in the press that he he was having his adaption period really this year. It'd be interesting to see whether next year he does become more consistent because this year he was very frustrating as a fan and as an owner. Yeah, definitely. I think it's also telling of the two two weeks where he really smashed it. He only played 29 minutes in each game, didn't he, when he got his 15-pointer against Fulham in game week eight and, and against Leicester the next week. He didn't play, came on for 12 minutes, so he came on for 29 minutes and got another brace. And uh, I, think, I, think, I think I owned him very briefly over the course of the season, didn't really look at him. I think it's the price as well, just in general with the forwards, both Aguero and Aubameyang. They're very expensive players. And when you looked at, you know, some of the other positions and, and the points potential from, you know, more premium defenders, a lot of us went uh, small up front, wasn't it, didn't we? And I think the one guy who've actually um, said is my uh, forward of the season is probably the same as you, is Raul Jimenez, Tom. And uh, I talked at the beginning of the season about there just not being any value in forwards, that there's no decent third strikers. I moaned on about death of the third striker and then it became death of all forwards. But I think one third striker, Jimenez, really delivered at 5.5 million. And uh, I think um, we talked a little bit about Wolves exceeding all expectations, didn't we? And uh, one of my downfalls was 
my need to tinker. I've, I tinkered so much with my, my forward line. I owned likes of Arnautovic, Mitrovic, Vokes, Danny Ings, Barnes, King, Rashford, Deeney. I should have just stuck with him and there's an owned him all season, really. Yeah, absolutely. 13 goals, 10 assists, 181 points. Uh, that's 57 more points than last year's highest scoring starting 5.5 million, who was Ayose Perez. In terms of that kind of haul, that would have put him in the top eight last year as well. He'd have levelled uh, Roberto Firmino's output and just been below Jamie Vardy. So it was that kind of level of established striker. Uh, which is where Jimenez is. And obviously, the talisman for Wolves, the goal involvement is very, very high at home. Um, if I think it was uh, above 50% of all the goals that were scored at home, um, he'd have been involved in that in some way. But I think that's going to lead to a bit of a price hike, isn't it? Because of that um, that tally, they're probably going to be looking at 8.5, something like that, to try to ward people off, just auto-including Jimenez, uh, which is probably going to open the door for another person to come into our teams with the likes of maybe Jota getting a 7.5 or maybe even Rashford uh, emerging from the Chrysalis and United uh, doing better. And that might be a better way to go than um, putting the money into him next year I mean what do you think about that I mean we spoke about a little bit on the last pod uh, but is he penciled in for game week one will you be eyeing him up I think you still have to strongly consider him and that's just because of the the, the sheer lack of options in that forward line you know if I'm not going to get someone like Jimenez in who am I going to be bringing in am I going to be lining up with Salomon Rondon and and Josh King next season I I don't know I'm still very strongly in favour of probably owning Jimenez um, next season even if he is costing as much of 8.0 and you mentioned just then about oh that being too expensive for a a forward outside of the top six but it's worth giving a quick shout out to Jamie Vardy who's actually um, you know, had a fantastic season as well. He's managed 18 goals and five assists. I think that's, um, um, that's I think that's probably the third highest for all forwards this season. He, he has had a really good season. He's not in a top six side, but, you know, he's been very consistent over the last four or so seasons in, in the Premier League. And, uh, and he's a, he's an expensive uh, forward to own at nine point zero million, costing at the beginning of the season. And whilst he's getting on, I think he's uh, he's definitely one to you know big up and, and praise over the course of the season. He's definitely been a sort of big popper character, hasn't he? In, in that Leicester line, <laughs> definitely a character, Jamie. Um, uh, fun stat on Jamie as well. Um, he scored sixteen of his first three big chances this year. Uh, Forty eight. He had more big chances than the likes of Mo Salah, Canaguero and uh, Sadio Mane over the course of the season, uh, which just goes to show like the scarcity of Vardy's chances are one thing, but the fact is that the chances that he does get are big ones. So if he's got a conversion rate of about a half, and if, if he's being fed by Brendan Rodgers' system, then I think, uh, yeah, as you say, next year, despite the fact he's getting on, there may be a backup coming in. He'll definitely be a force to reckon with. So I, I guess we're looking at following. Looking for team of the year, I think we're probably going to go with Liverpool, aren't we? Goalkeeper of the year, probably Fabianski, but Allison is probably the guy. But we're going to Fabianski anyway, just for purity reasons. Uh, but Robbo versus TAA for, player, for defender of the season. I don't think much is going to separate those two. Uh, I'm going for Sadio Mane as the midfielder of the year. Uh, you're going with Ryan Fraser uh, for different reasons, but I think both kind of make sense. And uh, I think maybe kind of Raheem Sterling is in with a shout as well. And uh, up front, I'm going to go with uh, Conaguero just over Jimmy, but both of them as well. Uh, very, very good points. All right, uh, let's take a break there. Then after doing all the heavy stuff and move on to more frivolous stuff, starting with Bandwagon of the Year when we return. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? 
So we're back, and it's time to talk about the bandwagon of the year, Nick. These aren't good bandwagons. These are the bandwagons that uh, we all got on, swiftly got derailed. We were thrown off in, uh, in a lot of pain and forced to make transfers a week after buying in these sorts of guys. Or they cost us a lot of points to go in on them. Obviously, not everyone goes to bandwagons, but hopefully one or two of these uh, that I've I fought up and a few people in the FL community have fought up as well um, are going to be ones that you, uh, you remember and uh, would enjoy perhaps reliving to some extent. For me, the biggest bandwagon of the year has to be the Duffy captaincy uh, in double game week 34. Hannah and Mark Dawn, who also mentioned this. Uh, but with the injury to Kane, uh, who was looking like the standout captain that week, suddenly the conditions were laid as the FPL stag always wanted, perhaps, a diabolical Irish mastermind uh, for a Duffy captaincy. Only end up with uh, two points uh, for that double game week, which is absolutely diabolical, of course. But so many of us fell for it. So many of us went for it. And uh, Maybe he is a good starting point to talk about bandwagons and uh, how they uh, how they manifest themselves this year. I thought that was the zenith of uh, FPL lunacy almost, that we all thought that was a good idea. The one example that I came up with anyway, Tom, was um, one that you probably remember well because we went on the FPL show that week and had to talk about him. And it, it was Ross Barkley, Tom. Um, I don't know if you remember the, yes, the happy days of when the 445,000 managers <laughs> transferred in this guy. It's worth mentioning um, that he just scored three goals in a row. So, you know, he, he was on fire in terms of his returns. Started the season at 6 million, dropped down to 5.7 million. But after those three goals, he rose all the way back to 6 million. However, he, he never scored again all season. That was the last time he scored. <laughs> he didn't score ever again. Ended up the season... At at five million, and as one of the biggest fallers overall in terms of um, actual price, and and with Barkley, I guess there was residual memories of decent returns at Everton, but I think he is just a definition of you know one of those players that you just you just end up owning. There's, there's, there's def- and and you regret it instantly because he he never delivers. He ne- he's never consistent. He's one of the least consistent players in the Premier League. He really is. And inevitably next season, if he's at five million or five point five, there's going to be a Barkley wagon, isn't it? And it's just going to blow up again. It's just just avoid it with all with all costs. I think with Barkley. Yeah, absolutely. So seventeen points versus Burnley, and so many people jumped on because he he fit he fixed a certain hole in many teams at that price point. But as you say, he didn't return again till game week twenty five um, after scoring uh, those seventeen points, and you know four hundred fifty thousand managers uh, definitely felt uh, felt with chagrin at doing that. But to continue the Everton connection, though, um, I think Theo Walcott in game week four is another contender here. If you remember Richarlison, I think you just brought him. In. In, hadn't you that week got sent off after 25 minutes yeah and Wal- Walcott scored in that game and uh, so many including myself thought well you know that guy plays for Everton this guy plays for Everton that guy's the same price that guy's got the same good fixtures so let's swap them let's just swap them in and I did the same option. transfer I did the exact same transfer <laughs> as you I had Siggy and Walcott at that point and uh, yeah they both just continually blanked for me it's just disastrous only owned Richardson for that one week a little bit of a bandwagon and he headbutted someone that was the only time I owned Richardson all season yeah, idiotic and uh, Walcott's got 101 points that's the only that's only the second time he's managed to score over 100 in the last six years wow and uh after everyone brought him in in game week four, the only time he actually returned in a large tranche of games was an assist in game week seven against Fulham um, when I actually fielded him and got that. But I remember vividly, for example, sharing my anguish with John O'Forward, amongst others, about how the hell we removed this guy and I can't believe we fell for it. Because at the time, it kind of felt like one of those 
almost red herring transfers, right? That you're kind of looking at it and thinking, oh, you know, this team have got great fixtures, the key man's gone, so the alternative looks good. But sometimes it's not good to get the Riker in. Sometimes it's the Thomas Riker rather than the, the William T. Riker, if anyone gets that reference, well done to you. Uh, but it, it's definitely not something which is uh, which is a good thing. And I think Walcott and Barkley both fall into uh, what we perhaps call the shit list uh, over the course of the season next year, that no matter how well they're doing, we really just look at them very, very closely before we'd be considering even going close to the confirmed buy button, right? Yeah, definitely. I think both Walker and Barkley, even though FPL like to tempt you by just reducing their price just enough to think, actually, now Walker's 5.5. Could I fit him in? Or Barkley's 5.0. Could I fit him in? He has scored a couple of goals. Just, you know, these guys are just never going to deliver. And even at that price of 5.5 million there's better value picks out there you know players that are on the rise players that could really score big over the course of the season there's always been one 5.5 million midfielder for the last few seasons hasn't there that's really smashed it we saw Mares in the past saw Josh King Ryan Fraser this year exactly so there's always seems to be one one player that really does well in that little you know grouping and price bracket so we should we should try and like avoid the likes of Barkley and Walcott these kind of past it um players that you know have never really delivered on the on the grand scale that their promise suggested obviously reach out to twitter to ask a, a few guys uh, ask a few opinion on a few of these bandwagon kind of guys uh, one that came back straight away uh, was Eden Hazard. A few people, uh, I think of uh, Chris Orsamo, uh, very, very strongly, I think of Hazard because so many people had that kind of individual sort of headcanon uh, moment with him where he, when he was in your team, did nothing. When he went out of your team, uh, he did bits. And I think you had that experience in you at times of Hazard that he was actually smashing it when he wasn't in your team. The, the likes of uh, Callum Wilson uh, definitely uh, uh, been mentioned a few times. Uh, Bro Potters Kennedy is prob- probably one of my kind of uh, my personal bandwagon fails of the year. A bit of a slack shout out here to FPL Stag and Sean. Uh, Sean was uh, hooked in by Anthony Stag's Irish eyes and chisel complexion, uh, much like Sam from FPL Family was. And we both brought him in on Stag's Insist despite uh, never buying him himself. I owned uh, Kendi from game week 9 to 19. His sole return was an assist in game week 12. I actually benched him four. <laughs> I filled him four times in that period because I thought, oh, yeah, he'd be a good 5.0. He might do something. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, can you think of any player that you owned this season that you thought? I remember you had Hunderhan last season for like one game week, didn't you? <laughs> it was a complete fail. You got rid of him straight away. Like, Do you have any player that this season that you've done that with? No, I was just thinking of other examples, perhaps. Felipe Anderson is another one that perhaps punished. He went on a massive period of blanking after so many people brought him in for the blank game week. So I think there's there's been players that I've hoped would deliver for me, but haven't really delivered in terms of their promise. I think um, David Brooks is one that I was very excited about owning, but unfortunately I just didn't seem to own him. Um, when he scored, and I, I, cons- I consistently benched his returns as well, and I just got a little bit punished there. But yeah, I think Guilford Sigerton, Eden Hazard, I've owned at various points of the course of the season, but always oh, seemed to miss their returns. And it was just it was just painful, just painful to consistently miss their returns. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, Philippe Anderson was suggested by CB. And as you mentioned, I did own him, but I got very lucky. I actually owned him fairly early from game week 13. So I got all of the big hauls that he got. 
Um, but many people who uh, joined the bandwagon after game week 19 were so disappointed as uh, he blanked all the way from then to game week 25 uh, when they played Liverpool. And many people sold him and he went on to score. Uh, so one of those periods where um, there was a lot of hype about him, but he didn't deliver. Andy, let's talk FPL and BNM. Matt said the same. Uh, Pereira, the Leicester defenders, oh, no. uh, brought in around kind of game week 27 sort of time. When we don't were, don't yeah. remind me of Pereira. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, went on to absolutely nothing. I had chill well at that time. And it is an interesting case as well, because if you got on him before the bandwagon started or you know you got on him after everyone had rolled away, uh, then he was an awesome pick. But during the high period of ownership, he was absolutely terrible, wasn't he? Yeah, he was he was horrendous for me. Just looking looking back at his record, he got he got a minus one against Wolves in twenty three, a one in um twenty four two in twenty five four in twenty six zero in twenty seven two in twenty eight zero in twenty nine two in thirty two in thirty one, and of course that's when the blanks ended. So everyone sold him, and he decided to get an eight against Bournemouth and a six against Huddersfield just to rub salt in that in those wounds. <laughs> yeah so Luca Dean I guess would probably be another one who kind of fits into that mold right because I think a lot of people would have uh, sold Luca Dean after that red card yeah I, I was one I was one that sold him uh, after he got sent off as well yeah, against, against Huddersfield yeah. and so it's a minus two against Huddersfield the previous week he had a minus one against Southampton and people were looking at those fixtures thinking oh that's a really you know great so a lot of people brought him in actually that 23 I was lucky enough to own him when he got his 17 point return against Burnley away and he got the 12 points against Bournemouth at home so I was you know you know, I was praising Dean at this point, but then he got, you know, minus one against Southampton and sent off against Huddersfield of all teams to get sent off against. It's just <laughs> horrendous. And I, I did get rid um, at that point. And then, yeah, at the end of the season, those that kept in that goops, you know, he got 14 points against United, eight against Crystal Palace, 12 against Burnley in, in 35, 36 and 37. So really delivered again right at the end of the season. Yeah, he got eight out of ten of his last game weeks. So uh, he he returned the other appearance, which is uh, bloody good. And no one really, uh, no one really turned that round and went for him again. So the big exodus um, after Huddersfield, I think over, over a million managers sold him uh, after that point, and we would never look back at him because of what he did. And um, maybe the same with Lee Banson as well, like because he trolled people so much, they just weren't interested. Uh, other things to mention, um, Anthony Martial, um, between the game weeks 8 and 12, he scored every game, uh, had a game against Crystal Palace in game week 13, the underperforming versus overperforming debacle, and uh, uh, I brought him in as many others did, and he proceeded to do nothing against Palace. Harry Kane uh, in game week 8 was a bit of a bandwagon. I still have painful memories of the Swansea at home, Burnley at home, you know, double fixture where he proceeded to blank. And I think he did something similar this season as well, didn't he? When a lot of people captained him and he... Cardiff in game week eight, he scored uh, yeah. one point in 90 minutes as Eric Dyer scored the winner. Oh, it's always Dyer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always Dyer. That was uh, Richard Nyquist. Uh, Matthew Jones mentioned Elia Nussi. Apparently people bought him. 3-5 who said that Kante at the start of the season might have been a bit of a bandwagon, but 116 points, three points per game from 5.0. That's probably okay. One of the best calls is uh, Shashank Bandari, who mentions Klasenac, um, who I think has burnt both of us over the course of the season several times through looking great, buying him in and Emery not playing him or him getting a one-pointer or something like that. 
Um, in the 22 23 uh, matches he started, Arsenal kept only five clean sheets, and uh, the chances that he was creating were mostly missed by Aubameyang. Uh, so, what's beef? I've got a lot of beef with Klasnach, and I'd be worried yeah. about getting him in next year. God, Klasnach, just I think that's just looking at his returns over the last seven game weeks, it's just he's probably an explanation as to why I did so poorly in the end of the season. I didn't really think about him too much, but he, he did only manage, um, he did only manage five points in total over those seven game weeks. And considering that I could have got Luca Dean for that same price, he managed that, you know, managed double that in just one game. It's shocking, isn't it? It's just, a- it's just one of those things, isn't it? Where he, he just looked very good and it, to the eye, he was always getting forward, but in terms of the outcomes, it just wasn't particularly good. Uh, just a couple for a couple of, other ones to cover off then um united players for the end of the season uh, the adamo Traore bandwagon from game week four <laughs> which i completely forgot about but definitely was a thing um, <laughs> we've spoken about a few bandwagons then nick which one do you think is your bandwagon of the season like for me i still think you can't get past duffy can you that was just I think, ridiculous. yeah, the Duffy wagon was was insane. I think just the, the lure of that double double was just brilliant, and just so many people captained him as well. And you know, a lot of people tripled up on Brighton defence. We saw the teams that had Dunk, Duffy, and Ryan, and the captaincy on Duffy. And I'm just like, what the hell are you guys doing? It's just like, I think it's just like they just got so excited about these these Brighton fixtures and then they, they just got pummeled 5-0 by Bournemouth didn't they it's like, yeah. I was just waiting for the sixth goal to go in and then everyone would be on negative points on their Brighton assets and yeah that was that was just terrible wasn't it and uh, and then the next game week a lot of people sold him and he, he proceeded to get a clean sheet against Wolves and just, it was just so funny yeah, absolute troll, really. All uh, right, uh, so probably Duffy them uh, for the sounds of it, uh, despite honourable mentions, perhaps for the Walcott wagon. God, if we're ever caught up by that again. <laughs> right, uh, next, uh, next one then is the bargain of the year, Nick. Uh, quite an interesting one for me. There's only one standout: it is Aaron Wambasaka because he costs you zero. Isn't that right? Yeah, Wambasaka was an absolute bargain. This season, as I said, he, he outscored Lukaku. It's just, you know, just uh, brilliant. Yeah, and, and when when Tom says he costs you zero, a lot of people are like, what do you mean he costs you zero? It's, this is because you have to spend at least four million on a defender anyway. So that that's, that should be excluded. That should be completely excluded from your budget when you're doing your calculations. So you get the choice of five four million defenders essentially, and Wambasaka costs four million, so doesn't cost you anything at all. And uh, yeah, his, his output was brilliant. Unfortunately for me, I think I benched him so many times when he got those clean sheets. Just every time he got a clean sheet, he just happened to be on my bench. I started playing him and he blanked every time I played him. But then I bench him again and he get a clean sheet. And just he was such a such a great player, though, all season. Such a really good player. Uh, for my bargain of the season, I know you mentioned TAA already, um, but I actually put him down as my bargain of the season because I didn't yeah, have him as my defend of the year. And, you know, this guy only cost you one under that same metric so you know whilst Mo Salah might cost you nine million you could have had TAA for just one million of your actual money that you had to spend the 75 million that you get to spend over the sort of the core budget of you know four million for defenders and 4.5 million for midfielders and forwards and uh, yeah TAA just absolutely smashed it I think we talked about him a fair bit already so I'm not going to go on too much but I think um, just just the fact that it's only only actually four uh, midfielders scored more than him over the course of the season. Just it's just testament to his output. 
Certainly. I think maybe the likes of uh, Jimenez are in with a shout. I'd like to dock to him with a shout as well. Uh, didn't really mention him in the Defender of the Year award. But, you know, at some points that guy was ahead of uh, ahead of Alonso by a long way in terms of pen box touches and ahead of, indeed, a lot of the strikers and midfielders in terms of pen box touches. And I think it was one of those ones where uh, the FPL community almost spotted it first, right, with Doherty at 4.4. And he only became really mainstream after a vanguard of people who had seen his stats, seen him play, brought him in. Uh, but because he wasn't a big name, a lot of people didn't really look at him. And would, yeah, do you remember in game week one, everyone was looking at Barry Douglas because he'd gotten so many goals and assists in the championship. And no one had really looked into Doherty at all. And um, then he went and then uh, Johnny came in. And then people didn't really look at the Wolves' defence again. But then suddenly right. people realised, oh, Wolves are playing three at the back. Oh, that, that Doherty guy at 4.4. He's had so many pen box touches. And sure enough, he started smashing it. So I think there may be something in there for him being a bargain of the year. Like, he could have easily have just sat in your team for all of the season and done pretty well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I picked him up at 4.4 and he was just an absolute stalwart for my team. And yeah, he had more shots on than Alonso. He was just brilliant. It's just unfortunate that he kept scoring in the FA Cup and not in the league towards the end of the season or towards the middle of the season when I owned him and he went through a bit of a, a quieter patch. But yeah, he, he was definitely one of the bargains of the season. I made a lot of money as well in terms of when I sold him because he rose from 4.4 for me to, to 5.5 in the end, which is, you know, just, just brilliant. Yeah, there's nothing better than uh, cashing in something big, is there? Right. Um, so, so, I don't know. Do you think AWB bargain of the year just because he costs you zero and he just sorted yeah. you out effectively? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm behind that. Cool. Right. A couple more subjective ones then. Uh, inspired moment of the year. Um, and uh, we spoke to a few people about this. Um, lots of things uh, that people have said. So, uh, Bitter and Stout, Mike uh, said that you're know, catching Fanderson uh, and Rondon's purple patch before everyone else did. Uh, Simon kept TAA through his injury in game which 22 and 25 and brought him into uh, uh, massive points halls after that. Other people brought in Doherty and Jimenez in game week three, kept them for the rest of the season, buying Mane uh, before he went on his run and starting to catch him, catch him early and buying in the likes of Pogba um, after OGS came in as caretaker manager. Yeah, there's a few moments there, I think, uh, a fairly inspired number. Chief, for example, brought Son and Pogba first week they, they started to show up. Uh, but for me, I think the inspired moment of the year from somebody else was FPL general um, when Arnie got injured and uh, in that midweek kind of fixture. Um, I took the view that I need to get rid of him. So I got rid of him, um, took a minus eight, removed loads of people, including Salah, um, and uh, took a big fall. Uh, whereas General Bench, Darnie, Captain Salah, uh, Balbuena came on despite a poor fixture. And uh, he scored loads of points. And it's a great moment of kind of o- not overmanaging and just kind of uh, taking stock and just letting things take their course. And I really wish that I'd done that. It showed his, moment, it showed his class in that kind of moment, I think. Uh, for me, it was buying Raz in game week 29 and persevering with him as my captain in uh, game week 30 versus Watford for his hat trick. Uh, so in game week 29, when I was at my lowest ebb, 1 million OR, um, he did nothing for me when I brought him in. Um, but And loads of people decided, oh, I'm not going to captain him because he's looking like he's off form. Suddenly got a hat trick in about, I think, 15 minutes versus Watford. I went out to Tesco, under orders, came back and he scored a hat trick and gone off. Um, but yeah, brilliant. And uh, yeah, really kick-started my mini revival at the end of the season. Uh, the second maybe would be keeping the caption on Mane in the blank game week against Fulham when those people got put off by the training gown pitches. Uh, what about you, Nick? So I put for my for my inspired moment, I didn't really have too many, to be honest. Nothing 
too much to boast about. I think perhaps um, my management of the triple captain chip uh, was pretty inspired in the end, going for that Huddersfield at home fixture for Liverpool in, in game week 36. So a lot of people, you know, use their triple captain chip on a double game week and I didn't really hear too many stories or too many success stories either in regards to triple captain chip but I feel like my use of the triple captain chip was was a massive success story um, more so than any other season when I've used it on a double game week and uh, use, using it for Mo Salah against um, Huddersfield and I think for 19 points he got two goals and an assist perhaps um, a really inspired move you know using it on a single game week rather than a double game week I felt like a lot of my focus and a lot of our focus has always been on you know having players in for the double game weeks rather than the single game weeks. And single game weeks can often be overlooked as really decent fixtures for those players. Whilst in a double game week scenario, often the players are a little bit more tired perhaps and and can sometimes miss a game or get rotated. And we saw it in 32, like you know, Morgan and Zuma being in the team of the week. Just highlights the emphasis on, on the single game weekers. And, it, and I think um, when we move on to mistake of the year, I'm going to talk a little bit more about single game weeks, single game weekers versus double game weekers. Yep, certainly. Um, just to round off where, what a few people told us about the uh, the inspired moment of the year, it's stuff like, uh, uh, for example, FPL Tim said that he avoided the uh, the Walcott trap, sold a Richardson for a 4.5 to buy Hazard. He then went on to get a hat trick. Um, I had Pedro in that game. He got nothing. <laughs> Pedro. Uh, yep, Pedro. Uh, elsewhere, FPL Rhino says Aaron Moy simply. Uh, Paul Larkin says having Robertson since game week one. The Godfrey division, same as you, said that bringing in Salah for his street TC in 36 was brilliant. Quite a few people, you know, FPL Dare, I know, uh, triple captain, Aguero in game week two. Uh, Sonny Dascoops did the same, triple captain for that hat trick. Uh, Bootstrap Theory did very well in our elite min league. Uh, triple captain Aguero for the hat trick against Arsenal, as did Alex Ball. And also stuff like getting, you know, a very, very high score on a free hit. Um, for example, the best one I saw was Luis de Almeida. So he scored 123 points from his uh, free hit at double game week 32. Yeah. So quite a few people did have moments of just pure brilliance. Yeah, I think another one was worth mentioning is, is Mark Southern's um, bringing in Sterling when no one owned him at that moment in the season. He, I think Mark's really proved himself as one, a, a top quality manager. Ownership at that point was only about 1.5% or something ridiculous. So inspired moment of the year, there are quite a few. I do like that Salah um, holding that Salah TC uh, up until the very end, because it definitely takes nerve to go through, for example, that Fulham game, not use it, uh, maybe not try to wedge it into double game weeks and just kind of use it in that single. Uh, so maybe I would go with that um, for that. But I think that it's probably one of those very individual things. Uh, mistake of the year, an interesting one. Uh, for me, it's definitely selling Salah that week. Uh, definitely cost me an extra digit on my rank, 163 points or so. I said I lost through that. Um, so yeah, certainly, <laughs> certainly was my uh, my big mistake of the year. Uh, the one that really comes to uh, comes to the fore for me when I think about this one though is people who unfortunately captains or triple captain Leroy Sane in game week twenty five. Obviously, it's not a mistake in terms of doing it because at the time we couldn't have known that Pep would then decide he didn't fancy him for whatever reason. But yeah, three points for your triple captain is is not particularly good. <laughs> to say the least and I think a lot of people were really really strongly burnt by that despite the fact that it looked like Sane was a, a nailed on starter and a, and a player in form so troll of the year maybe mistake of the year maybe but that's the one that comes to mind for me there 
Um, what about you from the States? You mentioned that you're going to talk about single game weekers. Yeah, I think I think that's the perfect example, the Sane scenario. I, I think my mistake was transferring him in. I didn't actually captain him, but I just remember being in the Slack group and everyone was showing their teams. They were triple captain Sane, captain Sane, and I didn't have this guy in. So I decided, OK, I'm going to get rid of Eden Hazard, who um, was playing Huddersfield. And, and bring in Sane on a minus four just to, just to cover him, even though I already had Sterling and Aguero in my team. I thought, OK, I'll get Sane in as well. And uh, Hazard's obviously got 15 points in that game week and, and Sane got one. So that was a 19-point swing in the end, or an 18-point swing. And that was just a, a, a really, a really painful moment. Just like, just a classic case of Hazard just, you know, completely shooting me in, in the foot but um no i was ready i was ready to die right at that moment uh, that was probably my mistake of the um the season i think the other one probably just is um just you mentioned him earlier was trusting jamie jackson um you know believing in this story that Aguero wasn't gonna play and then changing my captaincy based on that news article and I just know never to to trust that particular hack ever again when it comes to my FPL team. Yeah, the notorious JJ. Um, in terms of the mistakes that have been said by the FPL community, there are quite a few I can completely imagine would have been absolutely galling. Uh, FPL says said that he bought Firmino hours before he was ruled out against Huddersfield, uh, which handed the mini-league uh, to his rival. Very, very painful. Yeah, removing Pogba for Knockout in double game week 34. Uh, goodbye, 15 points. Hello, minus one, says FPL Elf. Um, yeah, uh, buying Trippier has been given. Uh, Gregory Bold said the same as uh, us in terms of Asane TC being a bit of an error for him. Uh, stuff like buying Walcott and mistakes, I guess, have uh, felt more keenly if they're yours rather than anybody else's. So, uh, but I think in terms of just points lost, selling Salah is, is, is probably high up there given the fact I missed the hat-trick, plus three 12-point returns through being too stubborn to bring him back in again. The final thing then, what will we remember this year for then, Nick? This season, I'll certainly remember sort of the challenge, I guess, of selection in, in the front line. There wasn't really any explosive falls this season. The golden boot race was so tightly contested. At one point, it looked like no players were even going to score um, 20 goals, but it ended up being a three-way tie for the golden boot, which is... Um, you know, quite a, quite a statement, really, in terms of the comp- competitive nature between the top players and their performances. But I think the true thing we're probably going to remember is, you know, the rise of the defenders. And it'll be very interesting to see, as I said multiple times, how FPL reacts um, to the defenders this season, two defenders outscoring um overscoring 200 points, two defenders um, scoring higher than the top scoring forwards as well. And and how FPL look at this and how they decide to balance the budget next season. Certainly, I think that that pivot towards the back, the Sir Nix-a-lot, big at the back, becoming Dujour. I mean, we've been pushing it for the last couple of years, haven't we? But certainly that recognition um, that the defenders offer fantastic value has certainly come through and it's been incontrovertible due to those numbers that we've seen. Even the likes of Laporte starting at 5.5 and offering the output that he did this year just goes to show that the defenders are a fantastic source of points for the money that you pay. Um, and it'll be very interesting, as you said, next year to see what people do with that. Because, I mean, I think it's probably both set in stone. We're going to be starting with a 4 4 and we did start with a 4 this year, but many people said after last season, oh, that's, I'm going to start with a 4 something like that, or a 3-5-2, something like that. And almost everybody went back to a 3-4-3. Three, three. 
It'll be really interesting to see if people do take these learnings into the new year. It depends on the prices, of course, and depends on the fixtures, of course, too. So if Lice Dean, for example, have a fantastic first five or six fixtures and people are going to be trying to wedge him into their teams as well. But I expect we'll see many people trying to double up with Liverpool defence, trying to get some sort of City representation in there and generally, generally allocating a lot more money to the defence than they ever would before. Like the 3-4-3 in the past has been very much front seven being the focus. But going forward, I think we're going to see that change. Yeah, I think so, for sure. I think this season we were very lucky, really, in terms of the defenders' price that you could you could have a team of the likes of Robertson, the likes of Doherty and Aaron Wan-Bissaka, you know, and maybe um, like another Liverpool defender. And you still have enough budget there. To I think I had Alonso and Mendy as well. I had really premium defence, but I still had enough budget to get in some really good forwards in my team as well. You know, I could fit in Salah, I could fit in Salah and Aguero and Hazard all in one team as well. And you, you're not going to have that sort of... Um, luck next season I don't think in terms of defence I think managers are going to have a tricky decision they're going to really have to decide do I stick with the defenders do I go with premium defenders or do I go with premium attackers because you're probably not going to be able to have both again exactly so 2018-2019 was the year that defenders became sexy right uh, let's uh, move on uh, to the features to end the year who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and um, it's it's time to catch up with the, the final market forces of the season. Obviously, there, there's no transfers in and out anymore. But um, we'll do a quick review of, of the price changes and just the data from the season. So obviously, some men rose, like the TAA, Doherty and Laporte, Fraser and Jimenez um, rose in value. Some men fell, like the likes of Jesus, Danilo, uh, Cenk Tosin and, and Ross Barkley. But um, and some in rose and fall, you know, likes of Yotta, whose uh, price um, looks like a bell curve. He dropped in um, 0.6 million in value after being priced at 6.5. However, in terms of price, we, we always worry about being priced out. We always look at the market, we see the trends, we look at the transfers, we, we panic seeing a guy's going to rise, he's going to triple rise by the end of the week. Got to get on that player ASAP, and we talked about over management to a certain extent. However, um, it was quite interesting actually when I analysed the price changes over the course of the season. Only twelve defenders rose more than 0.1 million. Only eight midfielders rose more than 0.1 million, and only five forwards rose at all. Wow. One surprisingly being Harry Kane, apparently, who rose by 0.1 million. So it's, it's quite shocking, actually, that when you look at the players that rose, it, you know, it's, it's, all the, it's all the likely lads, it's the, it's the same candidates. And I think that really makes a statement that, you know, the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Laporte, Doherty, these are really good players, but perhaps we should have just stuck with them all season. We didn't need to rotate. We didn't need to chase the bandwagons. It's all about identifying those players and sticking with them once they continue to deliver. I know we're always on the hunt and with the benefit of hindsight, we can say the likes of Barkley and Walcott were mistakes, but it's all about identifying these players and perhaps we should have cottoned on to the amazing value of the likes of TAA a little bit earlier, perhaps, and um, and Ryan Fraser as well. But um, a little, little bit of a quick um, test for you anyway, Tom. Do you, can you name the three players that were transferred out the most over the course of the season? This is over every single game week. And the three players that are transferred in the most over the course of the season? Oh, God. Um Mo Salah, Ross Barkley, maybe? I don't know, maybe someone like Paul Pogba? So in terms of over, overall, Aguero was the most transferred out player. 4.6 million transferred out Aguero over the course of the season at one point or another. 
And then it's uh, Richarlison with over 4.3 million transferring him out at some point or another. And that's probably owing to his red card right at the beginning of the season. And then third was Eden Hazard with over 3.8 million managers transferring out. And that's just classic Hazard, isn't it? Always in and out of our teams when perhaps we should have just stuck with him all along. Yeah. And the transfers in, uh, Jimenez, I mean, Harry Kane, and uh, maybe Sergio Aguero would be transferred in. So, yeah, Aguero is number one. Again, 5.3 million managers transferred him in over the course of the season, very in and out of our teams. Hazard, again, 4.6 million managers transferred him in. And then, and then Mane. So a lot of people perhaps um, didn't expect his output to be so good, but 4.5 million managers transferred him in over the course of the season. Salah doesn't even appear on the first page of midfielders. A lot of managers clearly just avoided him over the course of the season completely um, because of his um, price but and maybe that paid off for them interesting to see a big pop of Mane doing okay there uh, so, so what do we, what so what have we learned then is it just the fact that we should just be zombifying our teams effectively and not making any changes whatsoever well that's a little bit of a negative way and I think you know it's, it's all well and good saying let's let's just uh, burn transfers it's just kicking the door of our teams and just and just stick with certain players. But I think you have to always be on guard and look at the fixtures, I think, to a certain extent and try and try and identify trends. But I think perhaps um, a little bit more patience, perhaps, with our teams we've got to learn about. And, you know, and I, you know, I'm considered the more conservative member of the two in terms of my transfers. But, you know, like I said on the other pod, the amount of times I transferred Eden Hazard in and out of my teams, the amount of times I transferred Mane in and out of my team really didn't pay off for me. So perhaps... Um, Perhaps we do need to be a bit more relaxed in terms of chasing bandwagons and just and just sticking with the key players that are identified as the, as the key picks over the course of the season. Certainly, an over management I think will be pushing over the summer. Um, writing the article on that a little bit, using examples from certainly my team, maybe from yours as well. But I think that that's definitely going to be something which is probably going to hold us in place. And it maybe is the case. Just thinking, you know, the, the old adage that. Uh, Form is temporary, but class is permanent. It's definitely key. Um, there's a lot of players, especially it looks like the the premium players, uh, maybe for injury in some cases with Aguero, for example, uh, did cause some of those changes. But there are a lot of those transfers that were probably just tinkering and needless tinkering that got burnt. And we all got burnt, I'm sure, at some point in the season unless you you, you finished very, very well uh, by making a transfer like that, a risky 50-50 transfer. So maybe it is worth just reconsidering those, especially through the lens of overmanagement going forward. Market forces will return next year. So uh, the next thing is Nick Pick. So we brought this in kind of mid-season, didn't we? Because the zombies, I think, after a while got a, got a bit too shambling because the same people doing well every week. We'll be doing a final zombies update in a minute. Uh, but Nick Pick came in just as kind of a, a conservative choice. And next year we'll pair the Nick Pick with a Tom Pick, which will be a hell mary uh, for the week. And maybe we'll try to see how we're doing in terms of those kind of single player picks. So we're not going to be going too far into choosing some differentials territory unless it's a theme. Um, but I think these two kind of work quite well. Uh, this final week, though, Nick, you did choose uh, Carl Walker, and uh, that didn't yeah. particularly pay off. No, yeah, Walker got two points, so yeah, not the, not the best pick. I basically said that the Manchester City were nailed on for a clean sheet, which obviously meant that Brighton would score. But never mind. A, I think Walker was the classic Nick pick. You couldn't get more of a Nick pick really than Carl Walker, could you? Um, a premium defender that never gets any returns. <laughs> no, I'm anticipating game week one 
a TAA Nick pick and probably for me something like, I don't know, Jack Grealish or something. Cool. All right. Um, so uh, moving on to all England's then, uh, they finished just outside the top 1 million uh, despite a very good uh, final game week, 71 points scored. Nathan Redmond, triple captain, came in for 30 points. Uh, TAA, uh, Townsend, people who scored points for them, but the likes of Vardy, Wilson, Madison, Walker and Gunn all blanked. And uh, yeah, over the course of the season, I think it's probably been shown uh, that having an England-only team is probably one that's not going to get you uh, where you need to be. I mean, arguably, if we'd have left it on Sterling captain for the course of the season, it would have been okay. But nonetheless, I think that having a blend of uh, different nationalities might be a good idea. The final thing is the zombies then, Nick. And uh, do you have a final update for how your shambling zombies did? I know you captained Salah for the course of the season, so you probably did better than I did. They did pretty poorly, let's be honest. <laughs> they, uh, they finished overall rank of 4.6 million, so really, really down there in terms of the uh, the overall rank, but they still somehow managed to beat 1.7 million teams, so I guess not the worst. But I think just, yeah, the selection was pretty shocking in the end. Um, the likes of Eric Bailly <laughs> never really played, did he? Um, I was quite unlucky with some of my picks, the likes of Vatonian and Kane um, being injured for large chunks of the season, but then the likes of Mares, who I seem to back heavily at the start of the season, barely played for, for Manchester City, um, so uh, yeah, not not great for my uh, for my shambling zombies in the end. How about yours? I think I did better than you actually. So four point two million rank. Yeah. Um, I guess it's the pitfalls, isn't it, of trying to decide who to pick based on last year's results. So the likes of Aspilicueta, Edison, Ashley Young was my uh, buy. Um, you know, Man United last year kept so many clean sheets that having a Man United defend the game we won seemed like a good idea. The likes of Ericsson, Kevin De Bruyne and Pascal Gross were all players who last year did very, very well. And I thought, well, they'd be a good kind of, you know, solid drip feed of points throughout the course of the season. Didn't really turn out that way. Ericsson got injured fairly early on in the season in game week six and didn't really appear again till game week 13. And Kevin De Bruyne's, you know, a large chunk of the budget spent in and out and uh, Pascal Gross the same. Um, the likes of Pereira uh, did very well consistently over the course of the season. And I did um, eventually pick the right striker in terms of Aubameyang over Pinaguero being the auto-captain for the year. But again, you know, it's not been particularly great having him as the captain. There have been more weeks where he's done nothing than weeks when he's actually returned. All in all, it's, it's not been fantastic. I'm hoping next year... Um, I'll go for a slightly more obvious picks with the zombies rather than trying to be too clever and getting those players who perhaps seem more secure, I don't know. Um, but all in all, it's just a case of just getting lucky with players' fitness more than anything, I think. So the winner of the Zombie League this year, as mentioned last week, is Ujwa Kaki, uh, UJK Zombies. Uh, he came 87k, uh, which Ooh. is quite, quite depressing for me and also fairly depressing for you too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he captained Salah all year, had the likes of uh, Zaha, King, um, Van Dyke, Aspilicueta, and Alexander Arnold. So, Liverpool double up at the back, really, uh, uh really fueling uh, that very good year. And Eden Hazard as well, um, stuck in the center of his midfield, um, absolutely bits for him throughout the season. He finished 72 points ahead of his nearest competitor, Laurie Evita, FC Kupis. Again, a double up with Liverpool defenders and Salah captain, third, fourth, and fifth MP, Glenn Hamilton, Thomas Storhal, Thomas Storhal getting into that uh, top five. Um, at the very, very end of the season. 
uh, 2197 for sort of for MP um that puts him uh, 279k Glenn Hamilton ended up 347 and in fifth there uh, Thomas Storhall who was leading for quite a while actually he was the guy who had the Aubameyang captain and Mane 383k um so yeah the, the winner did beat both of us which is quite depressing um, and I'm sure it will happen next year we'll be running the zombie league next year again but at least it was kept to a minimum the amount of zombies who beat me but Equally, it could have been a lot worse. Um, I guess it just goes to show, doesn't it, that managers do have an impact on their team's outcomes and you have to be very, very lucky to get that go ship game week one selection bang on. Certainly over the course of the season, having 13 players who can play on your first team consistently is just, just doesn't really exist, does it? You've got to be able to manage that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think um, with a go ship team, you're always prone to injury as well. So, so to avoid that... It requires a little bit of luck, though. I think um, those guys in, in the top 10 or so did, did fantastically well with their zombies and, and, and really picked the the right players this season, didn't they? All right, so it's time for the uh, the final um, mini-league update. And um, we have a winner, uh, Mark Schurler, um, with his team Schurler this year. Certainly was this year, wasn't it? And uh, he finished the, uh, the season on a pretty decent game week as well, 70 points, uh, came 32nd overall and and first in Scotland. So, yeah, brilliant for Mark. So, yeah, congratulations um, for winning the Who Got This This Mini League this season. Um, It was quite tight in the end, actually, in terms of the league. Um, Paul Jones, um, Sky uh, Sky player in FPL, uh, was only beaten by seven points in the end. He came 48th overall in the end and first in Wales. So, Paul's had an absolutely brilliant season as well. In fact, all the guys at the top have done. Um, Liam Berry came third. only 11 points behind Mark. Um, Henry Wakefield, the Dunkin' Donuts, um, sort of suddenly rose to the top, you know, near the end of the season, scored 2,520 points. Guy Guy um, came fifth with 2,519. Oscar Norberg um, came 159th overall, but 34th in Norway, which is a testament to the uh, the Norwegian brilliance um, in FPL. He did very well as well, 2,513 points in Salve Barra in seventh. Jamie O'Connor in eighth, Rory Scott in ninth, and James Astin in tenth all had absolutely fantastic season so congratulations to all the guys um in fact um all of the top 50 were, were within the top 2k in the in the world so brilliant seasons for all those guys absolutely just to round off how ridiculously good norway are nine of their top 10 were in the top 50 this year and um, it's absolutely crazy the top guy in norway uh, finished eighth overall and um, but whatever the hell they're putting their tacos on a friday night i really want some of that <laughs> they must be doping as there's no other <laughs> yeah. mass drug testing for FPL in in Norway I think for going forward uh, but yeah well done to Mark and well done to Paul as well uh, for running him so close and uh, Liam Berry as well uh, as you mentioned Bootstrap Fury unfortunately couldn't quite dislodge Mark from the top this year but very competitive and it's been very cool to watch it and uh, we'll be back next year hopefully one of us will actually contend but who knows <laughs> right uh, so housekeeping then towards the end of the podcast uh, the first thing to mention is the fpl meetup in london the 13th of july after much wrangling that's the day it's going to be it's a saturday it's at the marleybone sports bar and grill it'll be from 3 p.m onwards so people can drop in and drop out on day trips you know uh, leave uh, significant others to go and do something else somewhere else you know go meet some friends go shopping or something and you can go you can come in and have a chat hopefully the game will be open then and it'll be a good chance for us to all meet up have a drink and uh, share some game week one ideas and get excited again about the new season i think we'll both be there won't we nick and uh, yeah it seems like we've got quite a lot of interest already so hopefully you see as many of you that can make it on the 13th of July. 
yeah definitely looking forward to it it should be another night i really enjoyed the uh, christmas meetup and, and meeting so many people at that it was you know quite a humbling experience so yeah look forward to the the summer meetup and uh you know we've got to do something over the summer haven't we without the uh, the football on i guess next year then so we're going to take a little while off aren't we probably just do nothing for the next kind of 16 17 days uh, for the rest of may and then start writing in earnest um, we'll be writing over the summer once more so over management value talisman update differential index which is a little bit of a new thing uh, with steve bland choice the importance thereof maybe you'll look at the selfish index again nick and we'll be looking at prospects and the prospects of course starting with ender stevens and the uh, timu puki looking into um, who may be providing uh, interest over the course of uh, next year yeah definitely time to start analyzing those derby and aston villa players as well isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah. who gets up yeah mm. yeah Jack Grealish 5.5, that's going to be the, the, the joke. He's, he's not going to be 5.5, you know he's not, just because no, of really. the, the cess factor. As I said, so Cessna being massively overpriced at £6.5 million. Pounds. You can see Grealish getting something similar to that and just too expensive for what he offers. Um, we'll see if Mason Mount stays at Derby. He'll be definitely an interesting one. Yeah, they both can't go up, so we'll have to see how it goes, I suppose, uh, uh, at that point. And we'll be podding as well. Um, So in uh, early June, we're looking to do an introduction to us, because I I don't think, I mean, surely there are a few of you who have listened to us from uh, near the beginning of who aren't my mother um, but I don't think we've ever really spoken about why we do um, who got the assist or, or why we uh, kind of came to be getting ourselves into the FPL maelstrom so we'll be doing a little bit of introduction to us and and why we do this won't be very long but hopefully it'll be a little bit illuminating for you guys in terms of uh, knowing who you're listening to and knowing a bit more about us as uh, backgrounds other than liking puns and liking saying we're back um, we'll also be doing the standard pod roster so when the fixtures come out on June the 12th and um, we'll be looking in to get a fixtures pod in when the player list comes out in early july we'll probably we'll start <laughs> to analyze that we'll do our usual golden rules pod do our general uh, uh game week one uh look up pod but yeah it's all to come over the summer but for now i'm really looking forward to the rest overall i just want to say thanks very much for listening this year difficult second album but i think we've come through it very well despite our fpl scores not doing very well i think the point is that this pod's not about us it's about you and it's about uh, us using our skills our work skills to analyze stuff and hopefully make it accessible and useful for you guys so thanks very much for listening yeah we, we seem to be classic psychologists providing good advice but not being able to sort out our own lives that's how i've kind of view, viewed our season and hope, hopefully we can do a little bit better next year but yeah uh, reiterate what tom said thanks very much for listening this has certainly been a, a pleasure to record and, and thanks for all the feedback and positive comments about the podcast it is truly appreciated Cool, and hopefully see some of you on the 13th of July. But for now, we hope we assisted you throughout the course of the season and we'll be back in June. Take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.